This morning what we're going to do is talk about the priority of the church from Jesus' perspective, from the Bible's perspective. We're actually going to do this for the next few weeks. And so um, you can kind of settle in your mind. We're going to talk about the church and why the church is important and what the church is supposed to be about and what the church does and what the church doesn't do. And so that's what we're going to be doing the next few weeks. And uh, I promise we'll get back to Luke. Um, We're going to do that. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, I think the plan will be to finish up our study of the gospel according to Luke, Lord willing, by summertime. And so right now we're at the place in our study where uh, Jesus talks about his return, judgment upon Jerusalem, and then we're going to go to the cross, and then he's going to be raised from the dead. And so all that's ahead, and I think we'll, we'll get back at it shortly. But for the next few weeks, I want to talk about the priority of the church, and that means we're not going to be in one passage, we're going to be in multiple passages. Um, maybe a few reasons why we're going to do this before we actually open up our Bibles. Um, One reason I want to have us take a few weeks and talk about the significance of the church uh, from a biblical perspective uh, is because sometimes we forget just what a big emphasis Jesus places on the church. And so we'll look at other texts that come from apostles and come from other places, but specifically I am hoping and praying you hear from Jesus that, that he places a big emphasis on the church. Um, sometimes we, we have this mindset that... Um, It causes us to forget that the bride of Christ is the church. He gave himself up for her, for his bride, the church. That that Jesus is married to the church, if you will. Uh, And sometimes we end up thinking, maybe because the church does wrong things or bad things, and sometimes the church does, unfortunately. Um, that, that we'll just have Jesus and, and any kind of formalization, any kind of church, well, that, that's, that's not good. And somebody's even coined the term Jesus-anity. So I don't like Christianity because there's, there's parameters and it's tied to the church. I like Jesus-anity. Well, the only problem is um, Jesus has a wife. Um, it's called the church. I'm speaking a little bit loosely, um, but he gave himself up for her. The church is the bride of Christ. And it's really hard to, to love Jesus and, and, if you will, hate his wife. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. And so, again, I'm, I'm push, giving a little pushback from, from our culture and sometimes our mindsets uh, to say, you know what, the, 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 the two go together. Um, both are important. And I also want to do this because sometimes we forget that the Bible acknowledges bad churches. And it doesn't commend them. There's a category for bad, unfaithful church and a category for good, faithful church. And so we don't have to choose either or. I have to say that standing before you this morning, I never would have believed you if when I became a Christian, you told me, number one, I was going to be a pastor. (laughs) And number two, that I would be preaching for three weeks on the priority of the church. Not all of you can relate to this, but some of you can relate to the fact that in, in my personal story or whatever you'd like to call it, I heard the gospel apart from the church, and even though I'd gone to church for a large part of my life, I didn't hear the gospel in the church. And so when I became a Christian, I thought, I don't need the church. Church is bad. But then the more I read the Bible, the more it was, oh, there are bad churches, there are good churches. And, you know, it's as if to say, Pat, you need to be part of a good church. It's biblical, it's right, it's what Jesus would want. So I'm offering a little bit of of corrective there, I hope. Um, I also want to do this series because I really want to help you and help myself be reminded about what's important 
Very few of us are here today because we don't have anything else to do. Very few of us serve in the local church because we don't have anything else to do. We have all kinds of demands on our time. We have all kinds of other things, important things to do. I just want to remind you that this is an important thing. The church is significant. The church is very significant. We'll see how significant. I also want to do this series because it's so easy for us as a church to fall into kind of identity crisis mode. And so if we look and see the church is important in the Bible and see what the church is supposed to do in the Bible, we don't have to have an identity crisis. We can have direction and we can have conviction and we can say this is what we're going to do. This is important especially in a consumer culture, consumeristic kind of culture. I love so many things about being in a consumer culture. I love it that if, if, if this company doesn't meet my needs, I just leave and go to another company. I like it that if they don't make it my way at this fad fast food joint, I go to a different place that will do it my way. I love this, so many options and choices. I'm in charge. Consumer culture. But sometimes that ends up being bad in the life of the church because then we realize that people who come in the door from a consumer culture, if we can't somehow sell them on our greatness and how, how perfect we can cater to them and their appetites, then they're not going to come anymore and we, we feel the temptation to give them what they want and they can have it their way. And I just want to remind you as the body of Christ locally at Omaha Bible Church, okay, the church is important. The church is supposed to be something. The church is supposed to do certain things and not do other certain things. So we don't have to have an identity crisis and we can be faithful by God's grace. And maybe by God's grace we can be a real church and, and stay a real church. And so those are just some of the motivations coming behind this. I know we do things like this at different times. Maybe they're just for my soul um, because of all of my temptations, but I doubt that that's the case. So let's pray and then we'll open our Bibles. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in the world. We know that there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. There's no such thing as a perfect church, a perfect ministry, because there's only one perfect Savior. And we're thankful that because of what he has done and because of what we do, or what he will do one day, everything will be perfect. In the meantime, help us to, to be humble and to take our cues from Jesus uh, and his apostles, from his authoritative word. Uh, we, we would love the joy and the privilege of being able to honor Christ in that way. So please work in the lives of, of everyone who's here this morning. I know that you can do that. I know that naturally our hearts are hard and calloused, including mine. But I know that you're the one who gives life and you're the one who mightily works. So please use the proclamation of your word uh, here at Omaha Bible Church today to bring honor to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. For this morning, I think we'll look at five declarations regarding the church that will help us to see its biblical priority. So, five declarations regarding the church that will help us to see its priority. Number one, the church is what Jesus loves. The church is what Jesus loves. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 will be the text that we'll look at. In Ephesians 5, 25, we can draw the conclusion that the church is what Jesus loves. Think about the things you love. I 
love food. I love good food. I love gourmet food. I love food my way. I so love food. I'm not supposed to do this because it's before lunch. But your kids just ate four donuts in the kitchen if they're like my kids, so it doesn't really matter. They're still feeling sick. (laughs) We need a new donut police ministry at Omaha Bible Church, I think. Anyway, (laughs) I love food. I so love food, you know? I, I can relate to the Apostle Paul when he says, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Mmm, the spices are worship to my lips, right? I love food. I love working out so I can eat more and love food more. (laughs) I love my family. I love my wife, my kids. Sometimes I love my job. Um, I love competition. I love reading. I love French press coffee. Man, this is getting good. It's all about me. Think about all the kind of things you love. You love a vacation. You love days off. Love holidays. Love time alone with your spouse. Love time with your friends. Love. We're made to love things. Nothing wrong with any of those things. It's great that God gave us so many things to enjoy. I just want to remind you today that Jesus loves the church. Doesn't mean that's all he loves, but he loves the church. And it's probably not first on my list when you say, Pat, what are you passionate about? What do you love? Oh, I love the church. Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 reads, Husbands, love your wives. Yeah, okay, I, I do. As Christ loved the church, how much did he love the church? In what way did he love the church? And gave himself up for her. Well, that's important to look at in a practical context about husbands and wives. We're not doing that this morning. But I at least want you to notice the obvious that isn't so obvious. Jesus Christ loves the church. He loves his bride. And we need to make sure that we know that about Jesus. So we are not committed to Jesus' sanity. We're committed to Christianity. Christ loves the church. Then, connect some dots, if he is wisdom personified, he's the wisest one. You know what? You see where I'm going? You should love the church too. Doesn't mean you're going to give yourself up for the church. That's already been done. If you're a believer in Christ, you're part of the church. But the universal church is locally expressed. We'll look at some of that detail later. I, I, I want to I love the church too. I want to love what Jesus loves. He's, he's my savior. He's my example. He's my leader. I want to love what Jesus loves. And just think about how many times... We don't love the church. Now, are there things in the local church that aren't lovely? I got a list for you. <laughs> a list of names. No, I'm just kidding. You just think about it. You know, people say, oh, I would love church if it weren't for the people. <laughs> You're like, well, that's kind of the issue. There are all kinds of things that aren't perfect. There are all kinds of things that aren't lovely. Because sin messes everything up. And here we are, you know, a bunch of us. And yet at the same time, we have to know that one day it won't be that way. And because of the perfect work of Christ, we can see that it won't be that one day. And we can appreciate the fact that the church, the bride of Christ, is what he loved, loves. We should have a growing, I would say, affection for for what he loves. 
I think we can build upon that in just a little while. But for now, I think we could at least say, well, that means I want to be a part of what he loves. I want it to be a priority for me. I would even say that it would would be bothersome when it doesn't act lovely. Because you want to honor Jesus. More could be said about that, but then I would say too much. So let's move on. A second declaration regarding the church um, that helps us to see its priority from a biblical perspective. Number two, the church is what Jesus purposed in eternity past. The church is what Jesus purposed in eternity past. Now that's a big statement, but you'll see why it needs to be a big statement. What we're going to see in Ephesians 1 is that before time began, before time began as we know it, it was purposed by the triune God, and we're focusing on Jesus right now, that Jesus purposed to have the church in existence. That has huge ramifications. I've got to show it to you so you actually believe that it's true. But in Ephesians 1, we see that that, that in eternity past, before time begins, Jesus had a plan for the church. Well, that that right there should elevate it massively. This wasn't a plan B. This wasn't an afterthought. This is when everything else went wrong. No, before he ever even steps into our world, before there is any virgin conception, before there is any Bethlehem, there is a plan and a purpose. Before the, How about this? Before there is an Adam and an Eve, there is a plan by Jesus for the church. So in Ephesians 1, I'll have you look ahead so you can see sort of the punchline. We're going to look at the whole chapter. But if you look ahead down in verse 22, he's talking about the church. So he's going, to, he's going to spell it out for us where he says in verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. He gives Christ to the church, which is his body, the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, okay, that's great. That's awesome. But what's interesting is... He goes way back to explain where this thing came from. So let's, let's dig in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, again, as I said in my class this morning, deep into the pool kind of stuff. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. He's writing to the church there. Now, we read in Scripture earlier, I don't get too hung up on this, but in, in 1 Timothy, if we read the whole book, Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus. He's pastoring this local church, this expression of God's universal church, local assembly. So he's he's talking to a local church about universal church as well as local church. So to the saints who are in, in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that is introduction. And now he's going to give us this huge, long, passionate, run-on sentence in the Greek text that's, that's praise and worship because of eternity past, because of this eternal purpose. Look for time markers, if you would. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, the Father choosing us in the Son, before the foundation of the world. There's a time marker. 
There's a plan and a purpose that starts before time. And a lot of us are familiar with this, but we just over-individualize it. It's true. It really is individual. It's, it's personal. But we as personal individuals are part of the church, and he's going there. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined. There's another time marker word, us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose, oh, there we go, of his will, this, this planning, this pre-purposing of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Even that's a, a, a time marker. Making known the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, oh, here we, here we go again, uh, which he set forth now in time in Christ as a plan. Oh, that's a time marker for the fullness of time, time marker to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined, another time marker, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first, more time markers, to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, now it's in time as we know it, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this purpose, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and, rule and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come or in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is what Jesus purposed in eternity past. Conclusion? That's a big deal. I mean, think about it. And again, I'm not trying to make it an either or. Let's not make a false distinction. Individual, yes. Whom? That's an individual word. Personal. Jesus died for individuals. Jesus redeems individuals. Jesus reconciles individuals. Absolutely. Personal Savior. Absolutely. But it's not either or. It's so that we would be part of the body of Messiah. Christ means Messiah. So that we would be United to Him, related to Him. How about thinking in these terms? What else are you a part of? What else are you a part of that has been planned for and purposed in eternity past?
just where I say, you know what? The church is a big deal. It's part of His plan. It's part of His purpose. It's a grand purpose. It's a big deal. What a priority this would be for Jesus. What a priority it would be for the eternal triune God. This is more than I can get my mind around. It's a mind bender. What do you mean in eternity past? When was that? It was in eternity past. (laughs) Before God said, let there be light. This is what he purposed to do. I don't understand the depth and the breadth and the significance of it. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul prays that we would grasp this. But I do know enough to say it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Let's go to a third declaration that will help us to see the the significance of the church. Number three, the church is and will remain the bride of Christ. The church is and will remain the bride of Christ. This is very much like what we've already been talking about. I just want to put a bookend on it on the other side. So if you go to Revelation 19, we'll take a fast train into the future at an undisclosed time, undisclosed to us. We don't know when this will be, but in this future time, Revelation 19, second coming context, return of Christ context, the culmination of all things context. And what we see is the same thing. Really? And this just makes sense. If he purposed in eternity past to have the church made up of redeemed individuals, yes, but if he purposed in eternity past to have it be, it would only make sense that it would be. And it would continue to be. So let's see it. Revelation 19.7. We'll just look at that one text. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. And he goes on to unpack the details. It's the marriage. It's the bride. Who's the bride? The bride is the church. And there it is in the future. So God doesn't say, you know what? Because there are bad churches. Well, there were bad churches when the apostles were still walking on the earth. Read Revelation 2 and 3. There are bad churches. There there are bad churches even when the Bible is still being written. So he could have just said, you know what, I'm going to start something new. There are bad ones. But we have to know that what was purposed and planned in eternity past will come to fruition and completion. The bride of Christ will be united to her bridegroom. It's going to happen. It's a certainty. It's an absolute certainty that it's going to happen. I say, you know what? That means it's valuable. It was valuable to Christ. It's valuable because it's going to last. That that calls for for, for me to say, something that's going to last, even through the Great Tribulation, I wasn't trying to make a comment about going through the Great Tribulation. You get the idea. Through everything. Still church. I don't know what else I can say that about. You know, then it's the great consummation and we're united to Christ. And 
And there are a lot of things I really like and I'm really committed to in this life. But if I just do a little analysis and say, which one's going to last forever, therefore how much priority should I place? Well, it's not an either or, but I'd, I'd be nuts when it comes to prioritizing if I didn't say, I, I want to have the church be a priority. I won't say you'd be nuts, but I'm thinking it. It's like, wow. I, I feel compelled to, again, add this kind of qualifier because, again, we, we, we see that the bride is not all she should be in, in expression. It's important that we remember the one who makes the bride all she should be is the bridegroom in this context. He sanctifies her with his word. We're, we're, we're growing, we're learning until we see him and we're made like him, individually and corporately. You say, where, what's, where's the application going? What can I take home so far? In the days ahead, we'll have some more explicit application but right now, really, to be honest with you, what I'm trying to do is, is, is hopefully by the Spirit of God and not as a salesman, is, is, is elevate your impression. Elevate your appreciation to, to remind you of the significance. You want a big word? We'll pretend like this is theology for breakfast on Tuesday mornings for the men's group. I'm trying to elevate your ecclesiology your view of the church. Ecclesia, church, ecclesiology, to say, wow, it's a big deal. You don't need to go there, but we, we go there quite often. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing can stop this from happening. At that point in time, it seems, not even crucifying me can stop it from happening. He's the raised one, the victorious one. What else can you be a part of that's guaranteed to succeed? I don't know. Let's move on to number four. A fourth declaration would be the church belongs to Jesus by virtue of his blood. The church belongs to Jesus by virtue of his blood. Acts twenty twenty eight. It belongs to Jesus by virtue of his blood. Acts 20, 28. Well, these are so complimentary. Um, not meant to be taken in isolation, but really with all the others. So as you go to Acts 20, I, I want to re-emphasize, I'm not trying to say it's either or. Sometimes we, we try to make people, or people try to make us make false choices. It's not... Did Jesus die for me as a sinner? Yeah, he did. And the Bible emphasizes that. Did he die for his bride, the church, together? Yeah, and the Bible emphasizes that. But our bent, my bent, I'll just speak for myself, is to focus on just the individual side of things. So I'm giving you a little bit of a reminder on the other side. In Acts 20, 28, this is Paul urging the leaders of the church at Ephesus 
And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, church talk, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. There we go. There's our church word. To care for the church of God, which he obtained, the church he obtained with his own blood. Again, what I want you to see is big deal on the scale, you know? I, he, he bought it with his own blood. He's using redemption terminology, obtained, but the image is a redemption kind of terminology. He, he bought it with his own blood. So the image would be, we're, we're, we're enslaved. Everyone is enslaved to our sinful lust, desires, uh, enslaved to Satan, and, and we're in misery spiritually. No one is really happy, no matter how it looks on the outside. And Jesus buys us, he, he obtains us, he redeems us from that misery and terribleness, and he claims us as his own. We belong to him. Oh, and by the way, since he's the firstborn among many brothers, among many other siblings is the idea, we're heirs. So he doesn't just free us to give us to maybe a, 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 another sinister kind of master. Now he buys us. Now we belong to him and he takes care of us and he cares for us and he nourishes us. To cross metaphors, he, he, we're, we're the bride. To cross metaphors again, we're, we're brothers and sisters. We belong. They're just different images that are used to show closeness, to show sincerity and intimacy. But please notice, he obtained the church with his blood. Therefore, it's the costliest thing ever. The costliest thing ever. The perfect Messiah, the fulfillment of all, the one who did everything right, the one who has no flaws, no sin, in thought, word, or deed, to use old language, gave himself up voluntarily to be crucified and treated as a criminal. To atone for the sins of everyone who would ever believe. Yeah. And guess what? In our text here, it's for the church. It's individual and corporate. What a big deal. It's a very big deal. There are all kinds of ramifications. We could say, well, that means if we belong to him, he's in charge, sure. But that could be viewed as negative, even though it's positive. He's in charge of the church if it belongs to him, and there's a place for emphasizing that. Maybe we'll do that in the days ahead, but for right now, I just want to emphasize the fact that he cares for the church. It would only make sense that he would. I wouldn't be the first one to say, and it wouldn't be the first time I've said it. It's the only thing that ever cost God anything. God just speaks, and it is. God owns everything. As the psalmist says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, it's just, his point is that everything belongs to God. He doesn't have to pay for things. But he chose to pay for the church, to free the church. 
Only thing that cost him anything. Huh, wonder how important it is. You're like, really? As a brand new Christian, I went from being a church despiser to a church lover. I'm not saying I, I, I appreciate and love the church the way I should, but it's like radical shift. I'm hoping and praying that happens to you also. I'm hoping and praying that happens to you also, even in the days ahead in the next couple of weeks when we talk about what the church is supposed to do, that, that today will carry over into that and you say, yeah, that's right, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that because that's good and right because you know what? Christ died for the church and he gave himself up for the church and it's a big deal. Oh yeah, okay. Maybe one objection I'll just handle just real quickly and then we'll do the last one. And that would be, sometimes we say, yeah, but that, yeah that, that's the universal church. Universal church is really important. And the Bible definitely speaks in universalistic kinds of ways. Believers everywhere. Every tribe, tongue, nation, all over the place. But we do have to know that the, in the Bible, the church universally finds its expression in the local assembly. Okay? So when you read First Timothy, Timothy is to put things in order at the church at Ephesus. Even to the point where the church at Ephesus is then referred to as the pillar and support of the truth. He's, he's, he like blurs it. Because this is the local manifestation, the local expression. And so then there are elders and deacons at that church because that's where the expression of it is. So maybe we'll get into that, get into that in the days ahead. In church history, it's been an error to do, to do an either or. It's a both and. Both are actually important. Okay, let's move on to another one. Number five. Another declaration about the church that helps us to see its biblical significance. Number five, the church is where Jesus... Do I want to say this? I do. The church is where Jesus is uniquely experienced. The church is where Jesus is uniquely experienced. Hebrews chapter 2. If you turn to Hebrews, by the way, this isn't very American. What I'm, what I'm about to show you doesn't really jive with my American rugged individualism. Maybe not so rugged sometimes, but you get the idea. I just... Independence. It's not very American evangelical. Um, I know it's not because in a recent survey that was done, very, very recent, 52% of Americans agreed that, quote, worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid important word, replacement for regularly attending church. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Don't make me make a false decision. 
I can worship God when I'm doing anything. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? Absolutely. First Corinthians 10.31, I love it. Go play that game for the glory of God. Win or lose for the glory of God. Enjoy that stake for the glory of God. Enjoy vacation for the glory of God. Enjoy new clothes for the glory of God. God, thank you for providing whatever it might be. New job, a walk with your dog. I mean, it doesn't matter. Everything should be able to be worship for us as Christians because we see the good hand of God. This is Romans 12, 1 and following. But it would be a mistake to say, therefore there is no biblical category for the significance of corporate worship. Corporate togetherness where there's something that unique happens. And Hebrews chapter 2 is, is a real help when it comes to this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. We, we studied Hebrews on a pretty fast pace uh, a few years back ago. Um, and so, still kind of fresh in my head, maybe in yours. Verse 11 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So God and believers. That is why he, in our context here, it's talking about Jesus the Messiah. That is why he, Jesus is not ashamed to call them, the sanctified believers, he's not ashamed to call them brothers. So Jesus calls us brothers, and he's not ashamed to do that because of the work of God. Verse 12 says, saying, now he's putting this quotation in the mouth of Jesus, saying, quoting Jesus here, I will tell of your name, this is the son talking about the father, I, Jesus, and I don't mean me, but I'm just trying to help you understand the verse, it, Jesus is saying, I, I, Jesus, will tell of your name, you, you the father, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now, you could argue that he does that with individuals too. You just don't have any biblical warrant to say that. So I wouldn't say that. What I would say is, there's this unique reality of Jesus speaking, singing, if you will, about his father to his brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. Now, I'm not a mystic, but I'm not a rationalist either that doesn't believe in supernatural. Christians shouldn't be either. We're supernaturalists. So I believe, based upon that passage, that the, the Spirit of Christ, because He gave us His Spirit, he ascended, but He gave us His Spirit. He didn't orphan us. There's something unique and something special that happens in the midst of the congregation. I don't know how. I don't know how it works. But there's something unique and extraordinary that happens when the people of God gather and Jesus is ministering to us through the proclamation of His Word, through the worship that we enjoy together. So, my ecclesiology, my view of church, because of Hebrews chapter 2, is elevated beyond let's get together for a Bible study. 
I love Bible studies. We're getting together actually for something unique and special. And this would be, I'd be in really good company in church history to be saying these things, I should say. I value corporate gathering like I haven't valued it before. I want you to value corporate gathering. See, I don't need church. I have a Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, the Bible puts a pretty good emphasis on local church gathering. We'll talk more about that. But for now, I just want to at least point this passage out to you. Some pushback might be, well, Matthew 18 says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. Well, that's true. Matthew 18 does say that. By the way, it's a church context. And he's actually talking about church discipline, not a fellowship group. And if you decide to put someone out of the church, you can know that where there's affirmation of witnesses, the two or three, you have Jesus' stamp of approval that it's the right thing to do. We use that verse out of context all of the time. Remember, that's the passage that says, tell it to the church. The witnesses are the two or three. Jesus is with me all the time by the power of His Spirit. Don't get me wrong, right? I'm glad for that. Sealed with His Spirit. Bringing illumination, bringing conviction. Absolutely. But it's not either or. There's something that now for years and years and years that have drawn Christians to come together not just to learn more, but there's something unique, there's something special, whether we feel it or not, that happens in the midst of the congregation. Now, one super interesting historical note that you may or may not be aware of. Think of the context of Hebrews. This might help you appreciate it more. Context of Hebrews, first century Jewish professing Christians, Jewish church, persecuted so much so they're thinking about going back. Some people are. That's the whole context of the letter of Hebrews. And he's showing the supremacy of Christ, the greatness of Christ, and, and the sufficiency of Christ. But see, there are people who are feeling like they have nothing. And he's saying, oh no, you have everything. If you have Jesus, you have everything. Oh yes, he ascended. Oh yes, he's at the right hand of the Father. But you have to know, and I'm looking beyond Hebrews now a little bit, he gave us his spirit. I mean, he's in the midst of his congregation. The spirit of Christ is, 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 is accompanying us. Think about it historically. If you're in Jerusalem, if you're around Jerusalem, think about Passover time. It's sensory overload. And your Jewish family is going to the temple. And sacrifices are being made. And you hear animals. And you smell things. And you smell the incense. And you see the holy hardware. And you see the robes. And the gold. And the greatness of the temple. And you see all of the pomp and circumstance. And you see the, all of these things. And you hear all of these things. And there are the priests. And this is extraordinary and magnificent. And this is your history. And this is what you're used to. And now all of a sudden you go from 60 to zero. Because you've come to the point in your life where you've trusted in Christ and Christ alone as your Savior. And welcome to the party. You have nothing. You hear the crickets? 
right? Because now we're going to be in somebody's apartment, somebody's flat, somebody's upper room, if you will. Crickets. Oh, we're Christians. This is great. Welcome to having nothing. Oh, someone has an Old Testament. And Jesus taught us to read the Old Testament the right way because Moses spoke of him. So let's, let's read that. Well, we're getting somewhere. We got something. And there's some songs we can sing. We can even sing Old Testament songs because we actually know now the significance and fulfillment. And you know what? There's also, you know, Billy Joe Bob over here, he's got a copy of Second John. Oh, somebody should read that. Somebody else has a copy of the letter to the Ephesians. Oh, somebody, let's read that. But you know what? There's still a lot of crickets. No high priest, no garb, no incense, no animal sacrifice. Tough pill to swallow. Book of Hebrews is saying, if you have Jesus, you have everything. All of that stuff was designed to point to him and there's a reason why you have crickets. <laughs> it's done. It's over. It's taken care of. Oh, and by the way, it's not that you only have crickets. It's not that you only have Sally, Lucy, Billy, and Joe Bob who are sinners. And they're ugly kids. You know, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's not just that. In the midst of the congregation, he, the son, speaks of his father. Don't go back to Judaism. I tell you the long story to kind of set it up a little bit better and say the point was made that while you don't have all the stuff, the stuff was point to point to the substance. And the substance didn't leave us as orphans in the short run before he comes back. The body of Christ. It's awesome. Really awesome. So in the days ahead, we're going to talk more about these things. The church is to be the pillar and the support of the truth, the gospel, the priorities that we have, things we are supposed to do. We're just going to build upon this. But for now, my, my desire is just that you would have a, a, an elevated ecclesiology, an elevated view of the church, and uh, just be ready for those other things. Um, so that we might honor Christ until he comes back. Father, thank you very, very, very much for the church. Thank you very, very much for the body of Christ. Thank you that even though we're here as individuals who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, thank you that we're a part of something greater than something individual. And thank you that you've done this all according to your sovereign grace. Lord, help us to be faithful to Christ as he's been faithful to us. And we know that we, we can't do that. And we'll do it imperfectly, but we want your help. We want to do that. And we do know that you're the God who answers prayer. So supernaturally work so that we would not see things falsely, but we could see things as they really are, more and more. So that Christ would be made much of. So that our lives would be put in place and, and, and organized the way that would make sense in light of the eternal purpose and plan of the triune God. In Jesus' name, amen.